Welcome to the Sportlight Podcast for parents, coaches, and athletes. The Sportlight refers to the time in an athlete's life when they have increased ability to affect the culture around them and the increased opportunity to learn life's lessons through sports. This podcast aims to help parents and coaches capitalize on their athletes' precious time in the Sportlight. The Sportlight Podcast is brought to you by Especially for Athletes program. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Sportlight Podcast. We're grateful you join us today. What's up, Dustin? How are you doing today? Hey, Chad. I'm doing well. How are you, man? Uh, I'm doing so good. I've had some awesome opportunities to meet with some incredible schools and teams this week. I got to go up to Bonneville High School and meet with all their athletes there, and I've been able to meet with a few younger football teams, and it's just been a great week. Where have you been this week? Well, I spoke to Maple Mountain High School, which is <clears throat> down in your neck of the woods, um, yeah. did an assembly there, and then uh, just actually got off the phone this morning with, with three other schools, uh, a couple up in, in northern Utah, and and then two down in southern Utah. So filling up the schedule, it's going to be a busy uh, couple months here coming up. Yeah, that's when it's awesome. It's so fun to be at those schools and everything. And uh, so, hey, that leads into something I wanted to talk about today with parents. A uh, core principle of especially for athletes is competing without contempt. And I know you're the current high school football coach at Spanish Fork High School. Congratulations, by the way, on your region championship. That's pretty cool. Congratulations to you and your boys. I know that's a, a lot of hard work that went into that. So. First, congrats, man. That's awesome. Hey, thanks, Shad. We, uh, you know, I tell the kids all the time that in life and in, I guess you learn it, you know, first in sports that there's plenty of moments in life where things aren't going well and, and things are down. And, and so when you have a, when you have a moment to enjoy it, when things are going well, you need to soak it up. And so for, for us, it's, it's not a state championship or, or, or at that level, but it's still something that's a lot of work went into. And I told him, hey, soak it up for a couple of days, every second of it, enjoy it, you earned it. And then, you know, you got to get back to work. But it's uh, it is anybody who's been a part of teams know that winning is hard. And anytime you can you can win, you got to soak it up. So we are we're we're enjoying it. So thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. First, for some who may not know the concept of compete without contempt, if you were to explain that in just a couple of minutes, what we try to train athletes on, and we wrote about this, this is a whole chapter dedicated to it in both of our books, but the concept of competing without contempt, what is it? Well, what, it, what it's not, and, and you did a really good job when we were putting the book together at making sure that, that this was understood, is we wanted to be very clear when we when we first introduced this seven or eight years ago that we use the word compete in that title because what it's not is simply be a good sport you know that that's one of the bullet points under competing without contempt uh is to be a good sport but we wanted to make sure that we didn't just emphasize hey be a good sport and, and make a chapter or one of our core principles be just sportsmanship. Um, of course, sportsmanship is important. And, and of course, it's something that we should be teaching and, and hopefully, you know, kids understanding at a young age, what good and bad sportsmanship is and how to win the right way and lose the right way. But we don't want to undermine the importance of competing. And in a world where I think, to some degree, kids are having that 
that concept of being competitive be made out to be a bad thing uh, that you're selfish if you're competitive or if you want to be really successful in 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 business or in in school or in life or whatever that and it's not uh, competition is important it's what it, it drives progress and we want to emphasize the importance of competing and being competitive however with the understanding that doing so with hatred or malice in your heart towards the person you're competing with uh, that's not right. And that's, uh, that's doing it for the wrong reason and, and, uh, the wrong sort of motivation. So, you know, we want people to compete to become the very best they can be. And when you're, when you're competing in a game with your friends, guys, or, you know, or, or teammates that you've, you've worked a lot with over the years that you should be given everything you have and, and all you've got to winning. But, uh, you realize that the person standing across from you in the different color Jersey is, is more like you much more like you than they are different. In fact, if they lived a mile or two, maybe north or south, and they they were on your side of the boundary line, they'd probably be your best friend. And you find that out <laughs> afterwards when you get to know these, you know, those opponents that, hey, they were they were just like me, and and I didn't need to hate them. And so, you know, that this excuse that you need to draw motivation or that I play harder if I hate my opponent, well, that's a weak-minded person if they have to draw motivation or inspiration from hating the person that they're that they're playing against and you know we use that quote all the time the true soldier fights not because he hates what's in front of him but because he loves what's behind him and that's the reason for competing and and doing it without hatred in your heart is the proper way to do so so many of these high school kids for example go on and play college and then those buddies that were their chief rival all of a sudden are their teammate they become best friends. And, and so sometimes that drawing motivation from hate, it, you see it translate into our society, those attitudes where hating the, the competing company or, or hating that uh, opposite political party, it just becomes, when that becomes your fuel for your effort, you just don't do things the right way. And you start looking for faults in other people and, and in the opponent. And it's just not a good motivation. And so I love that principle. I love, I love teaching it. And we have dozens and dozens and dozens, probably hundreds of kids after a football game, a volleyball game, a soccer game. They get together. They hold their eyes up, do the work bands. They take a picture. One of the people in those pictures have just lost the game. And they tag it with the hashtag compete without contempt, eyes up, do the work. And just seeing those kids who get it, that are motivated by the right things, they compete like crazy, but they aren't motivated by having to hate their opponent is a, is a cool thing to see. And, you know, that, that brings me, <laughs> someone told me a story They uh, I was approached by a leader in a school district here. And he was saying, you know, it's really cool. You mentioned that you had, presented to Maple Mountain to a s assembly on Wednesday morning, I believe. And, and he came up to me and said, man, that's so cool. They, he presented these principles on a Wednesday morning at Maple Mountain. And then he was the football coach and Maple Mountain and Spanish Fork are rivals on Thursday night. You guys played, played Spanish Fork. And, and we were laughing about a, an instance that you had with, with Brad Burtonshaw, great supporter of our program and just an incredible man football coach at Maple Mountain 
where after you had presented, you sat down next to Brad. And so here's two football coaches going to play the next night in a rivalry game. And they're sitting next to each other talking about these very principles we're talking about. <laughs> you told me you pulled up game tape of Spanish Fork and lead over to Brad, tap him on the shoulder and say, hey, man, when you guys are running this, tell me, you know, <laughs> and just yeah. those moments of just, just fun. You know, it could be so yeah. fun. So, so tell me, tell me, Dustin, in a, a parent's listening to this and they want their kids to be motivated by the right things in sports and to be competitive, but not have to hate other people in order to get themselves up for a game. What are some things that parents might do that ingrained within their children that need to be motivated by hate instead of love, as we've talked about? And first of all, let me be clear on this, that when I say this, this does not mean that I'm, I coach a high school team and I've coached sports for 20 years and I, uh, I have especially for athletes and, and we're busy in that, but I have another business that works primarily with developing football players and not every one of those football players and not every one of us coaches always does everything right. And, and sometimes Coaches try their very hardest to, to teach properly and to encourage kids to do the right things, just like parents sometimes have a, a kid that maybe does the opposite of what you thought you, you emphasized and, and taught in the home. And so, you know, every coach is going to have a moment where they're embarrassed by something that they say or one of their assistant coaches or, or a fan or one of their players says or does. And so I really think it it's an effort that everybody needs to be engaged in. And obviously it starts at the home and uh, parents not expecting that it's their, the coach's job to teach their son or their daughter sportsmanship or how to compete the right way or, you know, or how to be a, 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 a good woman or a, a good man. It's, it's, uh, it's the job of the mom and dad and hopefully the coaches and administrators and teachers can help in that process. But, you know, it, it starts at home and, and, teaching our kids that, you know, when you go out there and compete with somebody that, uh, that, that the person you're competing with likely wants to win and be successful and has likely put in a lot of work and effort themselves for that moment. And somebody at the end of it's going to be, you know, uh, tremendously disappointed. I, I remember seeing a shirt at a store. We were, I was school shopping with a couple of my boys and, my young son at the time, he was probably only nine or 10, saw a shirt and he said that the shirt said dream crusher on it. And it was a cool looking shirt. But the point was, it was that I'm going to crush your dreams that I'm, and I, and, and I, I just thought, you know, that's the wrong message. I, I thought that was a, you know, hmm. sort of a stupid thing to put on a t-shirt to teach a kid that, you know, Hey, I'm a dream crusher. I'm going to ruin you. I'm going to destroy your career or end your seat. Like that's not, that shouldn't be, if you need to excite your, your player, your kid to play hard with the motivation being to destroy another person, then I, you can't turn around in the next breath then and expect your, you know, your child to be empathetic or compassionate or, or caring for other people. If, if, you know, it doesn't work that way. I, I think we have to be careful with that. And so, you know, I, I would say that the main thing is is making sure our kids know, hey, you have every single right to want to win this game and to be upset if you lose and to 
and to be fired up. And I, I expect that you're going to be disappointed at a, a call by a ref or you're going to be disappointed at a mistake that you made. And, and that's, that's part of life. It's a natural reaction to have, but how you react in that moment re represents you. It represents us, your family. It represents the team and school and the coach that you play for. And, you know, we expect you to, to do it properly and then to have a discussion on what properly means and, and then, you know, hope that our child or our player does it and understand that they're probably going to have a, a mistake along the way where they need to be sat down and addressed and talked to with the same sort of focus that we sit down and talk to our son or daughter after they have a really bad game. Because most of us, if our son strikes out four times and made three errors in the infield in a, in a baseball game, we're probably sitting down and having a real conversation with them about what's going on and, and you know, why did that happen and how do we fix that? But do we do the same when he, you know, he chucks the bat into the fence coming back to the dugout or when he, you know, mm -hmm. takes a cheap shot at the second baseman, you know, and he's sliding into the bag or, or something dirty like that. Do we have the same sort of emphasis on that as we do towards, Hey, you didn't, you didn't win. Um, if the answer to that is no, then we are missing out on one of the opportunities that sports provides because the same situation in a different setting is going to pop up in the career world when they lose, don't get a promotion or lose a job or something happens. And are they going to be the type of kid that picks themselves up and gets back to work? Or are they going to be the type of kid that blames everybody and, and expects everybody to give them something and, and that it's everybody else's fault, but their own that they didn't make it. And uh, again, you know, what, what sort of, ch we hear the phrase all the time, how great sports is. Sports is so great for kids. It teaches them so much and it's so good for them. And, you know, I, I think we need to be careful to make sure that we answer the question of, is it really like, is it really making our kids better? Um, it can, it should, if done properly, it will, but if done improperly and not with the right intent and focus, Sports can teach a lot of bad habits and create a lot of negativity in, in kids that they then take into the real world with them. And, and we fooled ourselves by thinking that just playing the sport was going to magically make our child better prepared for business or life or parenthood or whatever. That's not always the case if we're not intentional. And competing without contempt is a every game, every practice type of subject that can be discussed with our kids. Yeah, I love what you're saying. It, we, we are going to be teaching our kids something with sports. The question is, what lessons are we teaching them? Are we ingraining habits that are going to be beneficial, help them be good members of society throughout their life? Or is the way we're handling sports and the things we're motivating them by, and is that going to ingrain within them bad lessons that then they're going to have to overcome when it comes to real life? Sports is going to teach our kids good lessons or bad lessons and, and the way we handle situations will determine that. You know, I, I was at a college football game and because of what I'm about to say, I'm not even going to say which football game I was at on Saturday, a team was ranked number one in the country. And tragically, one of their teammates was killed in an accident and the family was there. They, they did a tribute to the young man before the game. It was a very emotional game two very, very good teams, and the visiting team came in and they beat this number one ranked team in the country. And the way they reacted to that victory was disgraceful. 
yeah. stomping on the logo, running, taunting, running by this team, this heavy-hearted team. And and what I saw was was them trying to embarrass their opponent. And it was uh it was a very sad thing to see. It was so disconnected from any I mean any level of good sportsmanship, like a one on the on the scale of one to ten, you know, it wasn't even a one. It was so just dense given yeah. the situation. And we've seen situations like that where everyone in the stands, it wasn't even like you didn't even boo. You just looked at them and you just thought, are you seriously doing this right now? You just beat a team that has been through just a tragedy together. And it was just so, ah, just so sickening. On the other hand, I know we share a story in the book of your brother and an article that was written about your brother in a video that still is shown this day to athletic directors about the kind of competitors we're trying to create. Would you tell that story of, of your brother yeah. that we included in our book, I believe? Yeah, he, uh, my, my brother, they were playing in the state championship game. I have both of my brothers uh, were playing in the game. Uh, they're twins. It was their senior year. And um, the, the player the wide receiver for this other team was one of the best in the state. And he had had a terrific year and they had played each other actually the first game of the season. And this other team had beaten my brother's team. And then both teams went on to have great seasons and they matched up again in the state championship. And so there was a natural rivalry there. My brother had a natural rivalry against this kid because he was guarding him and they had had a battle earlier in the year. And here they are playing, you know, in, in front of, the whole state and it's it's on tv and it's this back and forth game that went into double overtime and on the last play in double overtime on the fourth down this kid got loose in the back of the end zone and, and had a ball thrown to him that he should have caught and uh he dropped it he was he was wide open went right through his hands and he he dropped it and uh the game was over and the camera picked up all the kids running out on the field and the coaches and Everybody celebrating, and it zoomed back to the kid who had dropped the pass, and he was just on his knees. He had kind of fallen down into his his head into his hands, and and my brother happened to be, you know, was near the situation and had his was on one knee with his hand around the kid's shoulder, and he was talking to him. And the camera went away, and then it came back, and it did this two or three times, and for a good, you know, 30, 40 seconds, every time it came back he was there with his arm around this kid and he was just telling him how good of a play, you know, how, how well he had played and how much respect he had for him and nothing that, you know, he really thought of as being a big deal and, and nothing really that I think anybody really at the time, but apparently it, it captured a lot of interest from people, apparently, especially from the other team of the fact that he didn't drop everything he did and go and start celebrating or, or go rub it into that kid and stand over him and say something to him. Um, but there was just a little bit of empathy towards what this kid was dealing with, that he had dropped this pass as a senior on his last play in a championship game, and they would have won the championship. And and uh, that, that video had since, 
I found out years and years later, 15 years later, was being shown at, at athletic director conferences what we'd like to see from from our boys and, and girls when in, in athletics. And, and these sort of things happen all the time. Unfortunately, most of the time they don't get the same sort of press that, you know, would get if there was a big fight after a football game, right? Because it's just not, it's not, it's not interesting enough. It's not, it's the same thing with violence and gore and, and, you know, arguing in our media. It just doesn't grab people's uh, attention. It's not newsworthy, unfortunately, but I think there's a lot of that sort of thing that probably goes on and a lot more good sportsmanship than bad. It's just, it doesn't make, I mean, you, you, you shared something, Shad, um, I think it was you you shared or maybe we used it in our in some of our presentations it's, it's not it'd be something maybe for people to look up i'm sure they could google it and find it but um tell us really quick the that soccer story that you i don't even know where it was i think the game might have been over in the in the in was it in the middle east I, I, the, the game i don't remember but i know it was a cool right. experience yeah, I mean, it was uh, an example of someone, this empathy that you're talking about, maybe a different manifestation of it, but uh, a soccer player was going in, charging a ball, a goalie was charging the ball, uh, and so these two players are coming toward each other, and they collide, and it breaks the leg of the goalie. I mean, just shatters it, it's obvious, but the ball pops up, and it's just sitting there in front of the goal, ready for the guy who collided with the goalie and ended up not in bad sportsmanship or anything like that, just aggressiveness, it ended up breaking the goalie's leg. And he takes the ball and he kicks it, but he doesn't kick it in the goal. He kicks it across the end line and runs over and starts waving for people to come out to the assistance of the goalie. And that just shows, uh, you know, when I watch it, it just shows this level of caring about people more than about the outcome of a game or something like that. And often when we make winning too important, too important, it should be important, but not, sure. not to the point. And this is maybe what we're talking about, that winning should be very important. It drives the work ethic. I mean, all those early morning workouts and and things that kids do as they're learning to work and getting those other great benefits from sports a lot of that comes that work ethic and those lessons come because they're competitive and they want to win so we don't want to take that out but it's when the wanting to win supersedes other attributes that should be more important wanting to be kind wanting to lift others, not wanting to embarrass people. Don't be a dream crusher. Like why would someone want to live their life walking around thinking I'm a dream crusher? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Yeah. And so it's when, I believe it's when our children or us as coaches and parents place winning so high on our what's important to us, the other things that should be way more important to us take a back seat. And then we embarrass ourselves. We've seen these videos of not even winning yourself, but parents wanting their children to win. They need to learn this lesson too. And, and I've been guilty of it. 
when that desire to to win it just becomes more important than other attributes that should be way more important than winning and then we start to say and do things do you think i think some parents see themselves and the way they acted on video not many of them i don't think would watch that video of them being crazy i saw one the other day of a mom yelling at an umpire and she yells out are you just mad because all the kids are taller than you and the umpire actually just said, you know what, I'm done and walks off the field. And so we say these things like what, what 40 year old lady would walk up to someone in a grocery store and make fun of their height. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. how, how do we do stuff like that? And it's when winning becomes more important than being a good person. Well, and, and, and the, the circumstances of games for whatever reason, right? You see it in, it happened several times in the NBA in the last couple of years. There's sort of this, um, I guess, because people know that it's, you know, that the, that the athletes aren't going to come up into the stands. I mean, they have before, but that it's, it's unlikely that, and that there's a fence between the, you know, home plate and the fans. All of a sudden it gives you this green light or this free pass to say whatever you want. And things that you, I think that's why some of these pro athletes and I get it. Like I, I side with them on this. Um, maybe that's not a popular thing to say, but I do. I just, if I was walking out of a, a stadium after a loss and some of the things that I've heard and, and have been told or said to, you know, to a player, just because they're in the stands and I'm not, they wouldn't say that to me in the parking lot or, you know, at a grocery store or out just in the general public, they would never in a million years say that to that guy. But there's this free pass that you get to just be barbaric and, you know, to just be a, a, a clown and to say things. And the, and the athlete's supposed to just, or the umpire or whomever, is supposed to just take it, you know, and, and not react. And if they react, then they get a bad look. And they know cameras are on them. And, but like you said, like, think about it. Why you know, who does that? Like, really, are you the, if you're the kind of person that makes those personal or racial or, you know, comments towards somebody, it, it, your ego is that big that you have to, you know, the, the thought that you were embarrassed a little bit because you lost drives you to act like that. Then sports is not a good thing for you. And what an embarrassment you are to your child. I mean, poor, the poor kid who has to drive in the car with you to games and practices if that's how you are in the car with them you know we, we really as parents have to look hard in the mirror and say are we are we that guy you know are we that mom are we that dad because sometimes i think we think no i'm not that's somebody else but no it's we all have a little bit in us and and it's i can't imagine that our child is excited to be around us when we're acting that way well it reminds me what was it frank martin the, the coach that was, you and I watched a video oh, yeah. the other day, you know, yeah. he was saying, I just want you to picture the referee, for example, of a, yeah. of a 12 year old basketball game. He's there on a, yep. on a weekend. He's getting paid maybe what, 12 bucks, 20 bucks a game. And he's yep. there. And he asked the question, do you really think that he came to that game with a premeditated motive to help one team win over another <laughs> You know, yeah. like the guy's probably just trying to earn some extra money for his family. And yet we, 
we act in these ways. I love what you're saying, and maybe a principle that might be rising to the to the top as our, we have this conversation is, you know, if if we wouldn't do it to someone's face in a grocery store, if we wouldn't say it, then sports doesn't give us license to do and say things that we wouldn't say if we were just in a room alone with someone. We talked about how can we teach our kids to compete without contempt? Well, I, I think maybe they observe us sometimes too as we're in the stands at a, at a game, an NBA game, a college football game. What are the things that we're yelling? What are the things that we're doing? And sometimes we don't think. We want them to have good sportsmanship. But by the way that we act, even when we're sitting in front of a TV and, and the things we're saying and doing might be contrary to the way we would want them to act. And those messages have impact. And, and so I think it's really important, this principle of intentionally helping kids to compete, but teaching them to do it the right way. Refs are going to make bad calls. You shared in our last podcast, the Kobe Bryant approach. Yep, sometimes they're going to miss a call. So I'm going to practice so that I can win even if they do miss a call, knowing that refs are, are imperfect sometimes or umpires or whatever. And just that attitude of, of ingraining within them that you treat people correctly. Here are the fixed principles that we have as a family. You treat people correctly always. And, and it, sports does not give license to let those attributes fall by the wayside. Well, Shad, you and I played baseball together in college. I've been involved in sports ever since and, and for a career and coached, you know, in hundreds of games. And I'm, I'm sure I don't have a specific example of this, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've done it before at the plate where I've seen others do it before where a pitch was, you know, maybe on the, maybe close and you thought it was a ball and the umpire thought it was a strike and he called it. I have seen it all the time where, and I bet you've turned before and said, was that just on the corner or was that, you know, right at my knees or, you know, just to try to get an idea of where it was, right. That you're, you yeah. thought it was outside, but you'll turn to him and say, eesh, got the corner, you know, and, and, and just try to, and he'll say, yeah, I got it. And you may, you still may think it was outside, but, you know from experience, you've never once turned to the umpire and said that was outside and had him say, yeah, you're right. My bad. Right. Let me, <laughs> no, uh, uh, you're right. Let me change that call. Right. But when you turn, when you turn to him and said, Hey, where was that? Was that right on the, and he says, yeah, it was on the corner. Okay. Now I got an idea of what his, his zone is. I got an idea of what I'm working with. I didn't disrespect him. He knows I disagreed with him. And every single, I shouldn't say every ref, most every ref, an umpire or whatever that I've dealt with, I have this all the time in, in, in coaching. There's times I get upset over a call that I think is being missed or something that, but I also understand because I've done it before that you miss calls. I've been, a, I've refed before, I've umpired before. I find that when I go up to the ref and say, hey, can you please watch such and such? I, I, it's happening a couple times and very rarely do I have them say anything other than, yes, I will. Thank you for that. You know, sometimes we miss it. I'll keep an eye open for that. And that's really all you can ask for because 
Right. They could call a penalty or they could, and it could happen every single play if they wanted to in basketball or in football. And so, you know, a coach lets the, lets the ref know what they're seeing. And that's part of the game. That's within the, the framework of the game. There, there's a, Hey, he's, he's in the key for more than three seconds. Ref, can you see this? Can you call that or heads up, you know, and you give him a, and then you let it go. But the, the personal attacks, the shots at, at people, you know, the physical appearance or, or, you know, a racial slur or some of these sort of things said to an ump or a ref or another opposing player or fan, you know, those are the types of things to me that are just, I, I don't understand how as a, especially as adults, we could ever say that. And then how we could dare think it or say it and then expect our kids to come out of this experience being any different if we don't fix the way we talk about it. And it, it really isn't a, it's a crutch that we provide our, our kids, right? We, the, the compete without contempt we think of as, well, don't freak out on the field and make a big scene and show bad sportsmanship. But I also want, I think we need to think of competing without contempt as how that creates the excuse for us or the excuse for our child when they lose to not take accountability because competing without contempt is also, it gives me an excuse. It gives me a reason to say, well, we lost only because of fill in the blank, right? right. And we would have won if it hadn't been because of fill in the blank. And it's, and then the, it was apparent when we, when we uh, applaud that comment or we encourage that belief that it was somebody else's fault, how can we expect our son or daughter to approach life much differently if it's always somebody else's fault? Instead of saying, son, you struck out because you didn't put the bat on the ball. That's why. And we got to right. go figure out how to hit the ball better. I'm sorry. Don't complain about it. Let's move on. But, you know, when we don't do that, we are competing with contempt and we may not be screaming and yelling, but what we're doing is creating these, these, uh, it, it goes back to your story that you did, you know, years ago on the, on the uh, peach tree that was, you know, over insulated and ended up breaking, right. That we over insulate right. or over cuddle or, and coddle our kids. And then they break in adverse moments of adversity. Well, and, and there are going to be bad calls. There are going to be times when you, when an opponent is not living these principles and they're acting like jerks. And I, I was listening to a college football coach talk about one time he was very popular, super popular, you know, because they were 5-0. and And then they went on a road trip and they lost a game to a team that everyone thought that they should have beat. And the next day he was in his grocery store, in his local grocery store with his wife and someone came up to him and pointed in his face and said you are a disgrace to your family to this university you should be ashamed of yourself you sicken me <laughs> and uh wow. this coach he said he's a christian man and he said that's when the test of whether you're a christian or not that, that's the test right there. It's not when I was 5-0 and oh, walking through and people were asking me for autographs and, you know, oh, I'll take the time to sign a few hats. And that, that wasn't the test of, of whether or not I'm a man of principle. My test came when someone 
put their finger in my face and told me I was a fraud and all these things in front of my wife. And I think likewise, the these moments when we do play an opponent that's, that are just being jerks or when an umpire is making really bad calls, that's the test. That's when we realize what principles we're really guided by. When we're losing, when it's hard, that's when we realize, okay, am I a person of principle that believes in treating people the right way, giving people the benefit of the doubt, not getting frustrated and acting like an idiot because I'm frustrated, whether I'm a player or a parent or a fan of, of an NBA team. That's when I realize what my principles really are is when I feel that frustration boil up within me. And I think if we start early correcting that, when even watching a game with a kid and they're going, that ref wants the other team to win, you know, just, just pausing yeah. the game and say, okay, let me teach you something here. I never want to hear that. <laughs> I don't want to hear that when you play. I don't want to hear that right now. I promise you that ref is doing the best they can. I'm not saying that that wasn't a mistake, but stop it. Refs don't act that way. And, and if it is, it'll be one in a thousand games that you will play. But if you, some kids, they feel like every time they lose, that was the instance, you know? We typically only see what, what, we, what, what fits our narrative. We see the missed, we see the holding penalty on us that, you know, that well, I, I mean, I had this just, just the other day where we had a touchdown called back and it was a holding and I didn't think it was, but it was. Really, the truth is, it was close, and and it could have been called either way. But and and so I can get frustrated by that. But I can also realize that there's probably five other times in the same situation where we got away with it, and they didn't call it on us, or they call it on the other team, and it benefits us. But I, I forget that, right? Most of us yeah. as coaches or parents forget that sometimes a ball or strike actually goes in our favor, right? I I had believe it or not, Chad, I. Sometimes in college, I threw pitches that were slightly outside, and the umpire gave me a strike. And he called it strike three, and I didn't go up to the umpire and say, no, I think that was outside, right? I happily took it and ran into the dugout and took all the compliments and knew that I got one. And, and sometimes it, 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 it usually works itself out, to your point, because the ref is most of the time not trying to favor one or the other. When I say most of the time, I say that, Maybe there are times that just human nature, they might, because they're so sick of the mom or dad on the other side that's screaming at them. It's human nature that if you're umping a game and the crowd to the right of you is constantly insulting you and whining and complaining about everything, if there's a bang, bang play at the plate, it might be human nature for them to want to give the call to the other team. So, well, you know, FYI to parents, right. Right, if, if no you want to make... Yeah, for, for no, no other, other reason, reason they don't want to <laughs> feel like that's affecting them, you know. Exactly. It, you want to you want right. to get that 50-50 call to go in your favor. So maybe we need to stop being such, you know, such jerks and then wonder why that close call goes the other way. Well, it might be that he was trying to stick it to you and and may, and he shouldn't and that's against their code of refereeing, but you know what? It's still, it's still it still happens. So, you know, and 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 you know, I'll, I'll end on this last story, Shad, and you can actually explain it a little bit more because you were there when we heard it. It really resonated with me. Eric Weddle 
uh, who, for those of you who aren't football fans or, or maybe, uh, you know, didn't, don't live out in Utah where, where we live, he played at the University of Utah, was an undersized free safety or strong safety type player and ended up playing 13 years, I believe, in the NFL, 12 or 13 years and was a six-time All-Pro and he's going to be in the NFL Hall of Fame here within the next probably 10 years or so. Just an unbelievable football player and a uh, friend of us, friend of ours and of the program and we had him on a podcast a couple months ago and he told the story about how it used to frustrate him that when he would ask other veterans in the NFL for advice on things that some guys were really tight lipped on it. And I get it. Like I, you know, it's their job and they may not want to give a competitor a secret because it could take his job. Um, if he got any better. And so, you know, I, I understand why some guys might not want to be overly, uh, you know, um, giving of their secrets to a young up and coming football player. But Eric took a different approach. Eric Weddle took the approach of he would share what he had learned and the tricks of the position and lessons he had learned with the young guys, even guys on his own team that were trying to get his job because he loved the idea of fighting for it. He loved the competition. He loved the, the challenge of, can I beat you at your very, very best? And he said something in our podcast that just, resonated with me it was so awesome where he said if he beats me he beats me like that's the whole point I want him if, if he's better than me then he's better than me I don't deserve to to have the position but that motivated him to work extra hard because he wanted to be able to say at the end of the day I beat that guy at his very best I even gave him some pointers and tips and things to help him and I and if I can't beat him then I've got to go and get bigger and faster and stronger or smarter or something so that I can get him tomorrow. And that attitude that he had drove him to just an unbelievable work ethic and focus from what he ate to how much he slept to what, you know, everything he did to be able to play. He didn't take the approach of, well, I'm going to compete. Sure. But every possible advantage that I can get from you, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to take if it means hiding from you or, you know, that, that wasn't his style. And I just, I just love that, I, that approach. Yeah. It, it shows the true competitive, true competitive spirit. He didn't want to win just because he had more advantages or, or anything like that. He wanted to beat people at their best. And I love that. Eric, you know, one thing I would add to that story that he said is he would even call safeties from other teams when they got drafted and say, Hey, if you ever need anything, here's my number. I'll help you out. You want to work out in the summer? You want to do something? I, I have learned some things I could teach you, you know? And I thought yeah. that was, that was so cool. Not just within his own team, but even others. And he found great joy in a, in a teammate of his, I forget which one it was now that he had helped that way. And then had that teammate had moved on and signed a big contract, I believe, with the Vikings, I believe it was. And, and he found joy in helping someone who was competing for her, his position. The fact that he moved on and signed a big contract and, and uh, that's a true competitor. You don't have to, sometimes I think we label competitivism as like that kid who's just a fiery kid out there, you know, just run around mad at everyone. That, that's not a competitor to me. That's a hothead. 
a hothead's not a competitor and someone who just gets angry yelling at people all the time that's not a competitor and i think sometimes we that's the idea boy look how competitive that kid is and it's like not look how little control that kid has over their emotions someone could be a very quiet competitor um or a vocal positive competitor you don't have to be a negative jerk trying to hurt people and crush dreams to be a competitor that's just someone who lacks principles that's not someone who's competitive and so i i believe it's really important to just intentionally we use that word a lot but intentionally think what we're teaching our children by the little things that we say what we're teaching those we coach by how we motivate them and hopefully we'll motivate them by love of their teammates love of their school love of of their community rather than hate of their opponents hate of the other community hate of the other school those things end up teaching them bad behaviors that then translate into other areas of their life and doesn't bring the best results so competing without contempt is a i believe a life principle that i think about a lot any final thoughts dustin no that's you said it well i agree 100 percent. awesome well thank you everyone for joining the Sportlight podcast we hope that you'll share with us your thoughts and and share this podcast with other people parents and coaches and and youth who might be interested in it other athletes and we sure appreciate you taking the time to listen to it today keep your eyes up and do the work this has been the Sportlight podcast from especially for athletes sponsored by coca-cola you can learn more about especially for athletes by visiting the website at especiallyforathletes.org You can also learn more about the book, The Sportlight, by Shad Martin and Dustin Smith at especiallyforalfies.org slash book.